Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to this week's episode of Rossafari Zoo News, our look at everything going on in the worlds of zoos, aquariums, conservation, you know, animal stuff, all those good things, things that... uh. We're going to talk about in this episode. So if you don't know what it's about now, even after I said that, by the end of the episode, you will. Or else I, I, I don't know what to tell you, friends. Actually, I do know what to tell you, friends. I have to start this episode with some bad news. As y'all know, I, uh, I finished my gig in Lancaster, and um, my plan was to bring Benjamin and Benjamini with me. And then I was concerned that Benjamin had disappeared, but I wasn't too worried. I knew he'd come back, and I wasn't seeing him, and it was getting to be the last day. And uh, so I had noticed that a lot of times when he would seem to disappear, I would see him crawl out. He was So I have a balcony, or had a balcony, in my housing, and there was a door to it. And um, the door was sealed well, but, you know, you could, like, get in the crack, and he could, like, hide halfway between the the room and the outside balcony part without actually going outside. And so after I hadn't seen him for a while, I, I pulled open the door and found a very dead Benjamin. And as if that wasn't bad enough, I then looked up at Benjamini's web and noticed that Benjamini wasn't moving. So I, I reached up and Benjamini was also gone. I don't know what happened. I, I don't know if um, they fought and wounded each other in order to win my love. And then it turned out that both wounds were fatal. I don't know if um, I just, there. I, I don't know. I don't know if there weren't bugs in there for them to eat. I, do, I don't know what happened. I'm really sad about this. Um, I truly intended to bring them back to Ardmore and and let them live their best house spider lives. But Benjamin and Benjamini have shuffled off the mortal coil, and uh, we miss them dearly. Um, I, I I was literally really broken up about this, and uh, and debated even putting it on here. But I want to be honest with y'all, and I know that a lot of you all actually cared about those two amazing house spiders. So I'm, I'm sorry to share this bad news with you. But I can also share some good news, I guess, which is that um, it's time for Zoo News, and we like Zoo News, and Zoo News is good, so that's that's exciting. And um, also, things are, things are going well in my life. Um, I have some updates that I can't give because nothing's official yet, but uh, I'll be playing a gig in Delaware. Actually, by the time you hear this, I will have already played a gig in Delaware with Jason, um, and I will be right by Brandywine Zoo, so I'm going to swing on by and say hi to, to the Red Pandas and some other awesome animals there. And uh, that'll be the day after I, I spend some time at the National Zoo and um, have some keeper friends there that are, are going to be letting me have some fun. So life is good. And then I'm heading back up to Buffalo. So yeah, life is good. Life is really good, y'all. I am I'm a happy person. And I guess that is, that's a really good update. Even if I'm sad about Benjamin and Benjamini, or as they're now known as Dejamin and Dejamini. Anyway, RIP spider friends, in lieu of sending flowers for Dejamin and Dejamini's funeral, uh, don't forget that you can become a patron of this podcast at patreon.com slash rasafari for as little as $3 a month. You can help support this pod. And also don't forget that Zoo News is sourced by listeners like you. So if you see any stories that might be Zoo News worthy, please tag me in them at Rossafari on the socials, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok, or email them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, and uh, then you'll be helping me out. And then you'll get to hear your name at the end of the episode. And that's awesome. Yay! So see, good news, good things, good news. Okay, let's get to Zoo News. Well, it's one for the pandas, two for the bears, three for the monkeys. Now you should care, now won't you listen to Zoo News? Oh, you could do anything, but why not listen to Zoo News? 
All right. So since we are starting off with uh, the death of some beloved animals for Rasafari, let's just move on to the death of some beloved animals in the zoo world. Uh, and then we'll try to pivot to a happier direction. Um, first of all, Heishan the Pudu has died unexpectedly. Now, for those of you who don't remember this story, Heishan is a very famous Pudu who was named after the lead singer of a K-pop group whose fans insisted that the baby Heishan, when first born, uh, looked exactly like the singer, which I don't know if that was a compliment or an insult. Uh, Pudu are cute, but also not human. Um, yeah, so um, Heishan was born at the Los Angeles Zoo, but then came all the way across the country to Brandywine Zoo in Delaware, where he had a mating recommendation. Uh, at this time, the results of the necropsy have not been released, so we don't know exactly what happened. But um, this is a real bummer. Heishan was really famous online, had a ton of followers, and um, you know was making the the name Pudu better known uh, in in certain communities, and so I'm I'm really bummed about this. I actually got to see Heishan at um at Brandywine Zoo the day he was put on exhibit before he was even announced. I, I was there and I I knew I knew who he was uh, from some friends there who had told me. So this is a this is a real loss to to the Brandywine Zoo and to the um whatever group intersects between zoos and K-pop fans. Uh, which I have no clue what it is, but uh, condolences to all who have lost their buddy, Heishan. And then um, the next two are ambassador animals at the Columbus Zoo who passed away. Grover was a beautiful macaw who arrived at the Columbus Zoo back in 2017, along with 15 other macaws uh, that had been living in a hoarding situation in Alabama. Um, and Grover got some fame because uh, Grover and the other macaws were featured on the uh, Secrets of the Zoo show in the first season. Um, because of the hoarding situation, uh, Grover showed up with a ton of health concerns, including uh, mobility issues and upper respiratory complications. But the team at the zoo was able to work on Grover and uh, get, get Grover to the point where um, – a personality emerged that wasn't really there at first, and, and she became a truly wonderful ambassador animal. The other ambassador animal that passed away at the Columbus Zoo was Fern. Fern was a binturong um, who, who did a lot of really cool ambassador work. Um, first of all, you know, if you listen to this podcast a lot, you might think that everybody knows what a binturong is just because I talk about them all the time. They're one of my big four, one of my million-dollar quartet uh, of animals, if you will. Um, but a lot of people don't even know that bints exist, which is is sad. And uh, if they do, a lot of them know of them as bearcats, um, you know, because of the whole Cincy thing and University of Cincinnati. Uh, but Fern was a really strong binturong. Uh, in particular, even for a binturong, had a really, really strong prehensile tail. And um, Fern would use it for balance a lot, including uh, when she would wander around just walking on her hind legs, which is a behavior that, that bints can do, but is not something that is super common. I don't think I've ever seen it, but Fern thoroughly enjoyed doing that. So... Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty bummed about that loss, and and uh, it was an unexpected. This was not an old age thing. Um, un unfortunately, uh, she got really sick really quickly, unexpectedly, and uh, the animal care team decided it was a better choice to euthanize when they realized they wouldn't be able to give Fern a good quality of life again. So, we say goodbye to two wonderful ambassador animals at the Columbus Zoo. And here is where I need to pause for a split second just to point out that just because you're about to hear of a third animal dying at the Columbus Zoo, this is not at all anything against the Columbus Zoo. Um, these stories just happen to come out this week, and, and partially it's because of the incredible transparency of the Columbus Zoo that we're hearing about all of them. Uh, but in case you have not heard, uh, Jupiter, a gorgeous Amur tiger at the Columbus Zoo, has died uh, after developing pneumonia caused by COVID-19. 
Jupiter is one of the animals that I've gotten to know fairly well um, due to a friendship with uh, Christy Nuss in this case, one of one of his keepers. And um, Jupiter was just a really, really awesome cat. Jupiter came to Columbus uh, from the Czech Republic, but was born in Russia. And all of that movement and everything um, had Jupiter being a bit of a scaredy cat at first. Uh, in fact, Jupiter didn't really seem to like anyone. Um, but the keepers at the Columbus Zoo worked on Jupiter really well, and especially Christy, who formed a really great bond with Jupiter. And uh, Jupiter came out of um, out of his shell. This is one of those beautiful stories where just constant training and love and patience led Jupiter to go from a really, really shy cat to a cat that would allow voluntary blood draws and who would befriend some of the, the keepers and, and vet staff at the, uh, at the zoo. So I guess let this serve as a reminder that, you know, COVID-19 is, is still not over. And, uh, Yes, the staff is still wearing masks and and being careful around cats and and primates and mustelids and other animals that have been shown to be susceptible. But this isn't over yet. And uh, Jupiter is just the latest reminder that we all still need to be careful and and take care of ourselves and each other, both our human and our non-human friends. Hey, Sean, Fern, Grover and Jupiter will all be greatly missed. But okay, let's counter the negativity of all of this death by talking about some awesome births that have been announced in the last week at zoos. For starters, uh, the Greensboro Science Center has announced that they have a new red panda cub, and uh, I cannot be more excited about that. Except for the fact that I slightly am because the Milwaukee County Zoo has also announced that they have a new red panda cub. Two panda cubs this week. Woo! And the Milwaukee County Zoo one is slightly more exciting to me just because the cub is the offspring of mother, Dr. Aaron Curry. Now, you may remember that just earlier this week, I released an episode in which I interviewed Dr. Erin Curry. And uh, I got to tell you what, y'all, she did not look even remotely pregnant at the time. And I, uh, oh, that it it's happening again. Right, right, right. This is the actual red panda and not the human. But um, seriously, if you haven't checked out Dr. Curry, the humans episode yet, I have to tell you, uh, people have been commenting on it a ton. And it seems like those that have listened really loved it. So please go check that out. And also congratulate Dr. Aaron Curry, the red panda in Milwaukee for having a cub. Yay. And the Indianapolis Zoo this week announced a new tiger cub trio that was born on May 27th um, to seven-year-old Amr Tiger Zoya. This is really exciting. Two boys and one girl. Uh, they're all about two pounds each right now, which is really adorable. And you should definitely make sure you're following at Indianapolis Zoo for all of the ridiculous tiger cub photos. Oh, and while we're doing tigers, Six Flags Wild Safari in New Jersey has announced the birth of five Siberian tiger cubs. This litter not only doubled the tiger population at Six Flags, but it actually increased the global population by 1% because of how endangered they are. It is believed that there are less than 500 alive in the world today. Though I guess you were probably already able to figure that out from the whole 1% thing. Unless you're bad at math, and I feel like some of you probably are, which is why I just said that. <laughs> Siberian tigers are actually the largest cats in the world, averaging 11 feet in length, which is a lot. And the cubs are four females and one male. Conservationists say that this amount of new cubs can actually help ensure the survival of the entire species for at least two more decades. It's kind of amazing the impact that just a few births can have on a species that is that heavily endangered. Congrats to everyone at Six Flags. And speaking of endangered animals that are being born at zoos, the National Zoo recently had a birth at the um, Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, where parents Buddy and Suru 
who are red-crowned cranes, bred and successfully hatched a new colt. There are less than 2,700 wild red-crowned cranes remaining in the world, and so this is another really big deal kind of birth, especially because this was a birth done by artificial insemination. As science continues to get better, we're going to have better and better chances to save species. Speaking of which, the Toledo Zoo has recently uh, gotten involved with cheer pheasant conservation alongside scientists in Nepal and recently announced that they have hatched numerous cheer pheasant eggs at the zoo. Uh, some of these may be kept as an insurance population. Some may be sent back to the wild. We'll find out. Uh, the Toledo Zoo didn't put out a ton of information about this. Um, I'm not even sure how many hatched. But hey, whatever the number is, it's an exciting one because this is just another great example of zoos teaming up with uh, conservationists in the wild, in situ conservationists, and uh, making things happen. I love it. I love it so much. This hatching is really worth a... <clears throat> cheer. Yeah, yeah, you saw it coming. And last but certainly not least, the Australian Reptile Park has hatched Komodo dragons. This is the first time that a Komodo dragon has ever hatched in Australia, and um, keepers were actually able to be there as the eggs hatched and watch their tiny little heads pop out of the eggs. So just another great example of zoos doing great things by birthing awesome animals into the world. Yay! Okay, so moving away from the cycle of life, um, let's talk about another zoo and pride incident, shall we? And good news, this is one that you can actually help with. The North Carolina Zoo put up a post stating, quote, We celebrate and embrace the diversity of life and love on our planet with a rainbow of hearts after that. And um, not entirely surprisingly, a bunch of people started putting homophobic comments on the post. It was gross. It's just sad. Don't go read those comments, but you can go to the North Carolina Zoo's Facebook page and add your own comment saying something like, oh, I don't know. Thank you, North Carolina Zoo, for standing up for what is right. Y'all rock, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Oh, that was by John Rossi, host of the Rossafari podcast. Or you could say, so proud of you for celebrating diversity, exclamation point. Thank you and great job, North Carolina Zoo, exclamation point, smiley face. Oh, goodness, that was Tiffany James, who's a zookeeper who you've heard on this podcast. Or what about thanks, NC Zoo, with a bunch of blue hearts? Oh, that was Jake Belair, who you've also heard on this podcast. Wait a minute, why are there all these keepers? Oh, that's right. Because in a group on Facebook of, of zookeepers that do amazing things, um, this got posted. And a whole bunch of us heard all about the nasty comments, and we went and put positive ones. And um, I just, I love the zookeeping community. I love that that's a thing. The post now has um, over a thousand, well over a thousand comments on it. And uh, as I scroll down, I keep seeing names that I know and love, like Alicia Gaudet and Mieko Temple. And these are names that you know and I know and... Uh, it's just, it's cool to see this, and and they are all pretty darn positive. There are still the negative comments if you flip through, but um, I, I love that people came together and and made this a, a, a more positive experience. And, and like I said, you can go and add your voice. The post is still there. The Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago, Illinois, uh, recently came under fire because of a video that went viral that showed their polar bear, Siku, sleeping on a pile of ice. And people were saying that because the bear was not moving, he, he was sleeping, but whatever, and because he was clinging to this pile of ice, that it just showed that he wishes that he could be out in the Arctic and on ice shelves and, you know, in the wild and captivity is evil and blah, blah, frickin' blah. 
Well, the zoo put out an initial statement, and then realizing that it wasn't gaining traction, put out a much longer and more complex statement. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but they basically uh, took the time to explain that the two bears that live at the zoo have an indoor and outdoor habitat that is 11,383 square feet, and um, that they have all kinds of access to air-conditioned spaces behind the scenes, temperature-controlled dive pools, a stream, a cooling ice cave, dig pits, grasses, mud, and, yes, even an ice machine that creates ice piles. That's like what they saw in the video. Um, They were able to examine their cameras, which have 24-7 monitoring, and they were able to see that on Thursday, the day that this was recorded, Siku not only laid on ice for a while, but uh, spent his morning swimming in the cold water deep dive pool, explored the habitat for snacks that had been left out by the keepers, slept behind the scenes while keepers cleaned the habitat, foraged for more food throughout the north side habitat, participated in a training session in the south habitat, headed inside for an hours-long afternoon nap, and then headed back outside where he dug through an enrichment ice pile intended to elicit foraging and found hidden fish and, once he ate those up, chose to take another nap on the ice pile, which is what people are complaining about. Uh, sound, sounds like a pretty pretty exciting day for a polar bear to me. That's uh, my, my, you know, understanding. Anyway, um... And then the Lincoln Park Zoo went on to explain that, um, you know, polar bears are often seen in these amazing photos where they're roaming on sea ice. But um, that actual research actually shows that polar bears prefer to spend time on land and only spend their time on sea ice when they are hunting. They also reminded everybody that sea ice is receding every year due to climate change. Um, And so maybe it's not actually the polar bears in captivity that we need to worry about, eh? At least, you know, the ones in captivity in good places. So, yeah, I I thought that was a really great reaction, and they did a really nice job. And then they added a link on how you can make climate change-friendly choices so that you can help the polar bears in the wild rather than complaining about them on the internet. And I just, yay, Lincoln Park Zoo. This was such a great and thorough answer. As a matter of fact, they even put out an activities map that shows the bears' movements over the last three months, showing that they really use, like, every inch of their habitat. And they also showed photos and videos of them swimming to prove that they do that. They just, they knocked this one out of the park. The Lincoln Park. An orangutan at the Ho Chi Minh City Zoo was recently seen smoking a cigarette in front of zoo visitors. The zoo says that the cigarette, which was lit, was thrown into the exhibit by a guest, which is disgusting, Um, though some anti-captivity people are claiming that the zoo gave the orangutan the cigarette. There is no evidence of that. Um, And the, the part that I find honestly fascinating and impressive, while also being really gross and disgusting and disturbing, is the fact that the orangutan knows how to smoke, okay? It picks up the cigarette, it places it between two fingers, the two fingers that humans use to hold cigarettes traditionally. It puts the not-lit end into its mouth, it puffs, it exhales, it then takes the cigarette and pushes the lit end onto the ground, snuffing it out, and then checks the butt to make sure it is actually out before tossing it away. Uh, Now, to be clear, we don't know how much of what I just described is simple mimicry, i.e. it's not actually checking the butt to see if it's out. It just sees humans look at the butt after doing that because they're making sure it's out. So I don't want to anthropomorphize, although it's really hard not to anthropomorphize when you are talking about an orangutan smoking a cigarette like a human because that is an anthropomorphic behavior. Um, But anyway, uh, this is a really sad, bad, gross video um that is also honestly i'm not gonna lie fascinating it's fascinating that an orangutan learned how to do that probably from just watching guests smoke at the zoo which i have strong opinions about um but maybe not maybe maybe it was previously owned uh by a a human in in private the private world 
and yeah, I don't know. I don't know how this happened. They don't know how this happened, but um, it's not a good look, y'all. And I will say this. I actually recently got to spend some time with orangutans at the uh, National Zoo. Um, obviously, they are a protected contact animal. I wasn't hanging out with them or you know sharing a smoke or anything. Um, and I've always liked orangutans. They're cool. Um, but being so close and actually seeing their interactions with their keepers and everything was astonishing. Uh, I, I even got to see uh, an orangutan have a nebulizer treatment done to it, and it it understood and did the proper breathing, and it was just just astonishing. These are amazing, brilliant animals, and um, it's it's so sad that this one has had this kind of experience. Okay, so back to happy news. Y'all remember back in uh, March, I reported on a um, critically endangered Sumatran rhino being born um, at the International Rhino Foundation and talked about how our our good friend Paul Reinhardt at the, the Cincinnati Zoo actually went over and assisted with the, the young rhino and, and how he's just a hero for rhinos as well as for red pandas. Um, interestingly, and something that I did not know and that they just announced publicly, the, the way that this all happened, um, was that the International Rhino Foundation back in December was in need of a maternity and birthing pen to help Rosa, the mother of the new rhino, uh, get through the pregnancy uh, efficiently. And, um, the Fresno Chafee Zoo used their Wildlife Conservation Fund to fully support the construction of the necessary facility. So even though that was an in-situ birth, it was an in-situ birth that happened because a zoo was able to fund what was needed out in the field to give the best possible rhino birth. So um, yeah, you know that one makes me tingly and happy. Okay, and so um, you may remember from last week that the uh, Stanley Cup had a bit of a friendly wager riding on it. Uh, Tampa and Denver were the teams in the Stanley Cup, and whoever won, uh, the loser was going to have to feature a conservation initiative of the other zoo on their social media feeds. Well, it turns out that the Colorado Avalanche won the Stanley Cup, meaning that the uh, Tampa Bay Zoo at Lowry Park needed to share about some of the conservation work being done at the Denver Zoo. And they did on all of their social media feeds. But even cooler than that is that the Denver Zoo, despite having won, still decided to share Tampa's conservation story with uh, with the world. So, um... Yay, Colorado Avalanche, but but the real winners are both Tampa and Denver for sharing the conservation initiative stories that they did. I, I love that both zoos did it. That's awesome. Oh, and speaking of Zoo Tampa, they did a pretty cool thing. So the Tampa Bay Rays are a Major League Baseball team, and um, Manny T., and Flora Panther, the two mascots of Zoo Tampa, went to the Rays game, and um, Manny T was throwing out the first pitch, and both ran in a mascot race there. And in exchange for doing that, uh, the Rays gave a percentage of each ticket sold to their game back to Zoo Tampa to help with conservation efforts. So just a really cool way to engage the public and make more money for conservation. And that brings us to... Stereotypical Animal Podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. All right, so um, this could also go under uh, animal holidays, and I'm sure I'll mention it there as well, unless I forget to. But friendly reminder that um, this is now July, and uh, a lot of facilities are going to be encouraging you to practice, quote, plastic-free July, an entire month where you try to get by without using any single-use plastics. It's a cool challenge, and even if you fail, the effort can still make a huge impact on animals and, you know, just kind of the planet in general. So, um, yeah, give it a shot. Plastic Free July. Our good friends at Penguins International are encouraging people to skip the car to save a species. And uh, since it's Penguins International, I'm 
guessing you can guess what species it is. But this initiative is known as the Penguin Petal. And um, the idea behind it is that since emperor penguins are reliant on sea ice for their survival, uh, Penguins International are encouraging participants to ride their bikes to lower carbon emissions. Penguins International is also hosting a virtual bike riding event to support penguin conservation. A virtual event means that you can participate from anywhere as long as it's within the event dates, which have already started June 21st to August 16th, 2022. The goal is for bike riders to hit at least 12 miles or more in that time period. And, um, you know, they're trying to get at least 100 people to join for the Penguin Pedal. This is a great opportunity if you uh, live in biking distance uh, of your job to maybe take some time off from, from driving there and bike instead. Um, or, hey, stationary bikes, they still count. Got a Peloton? Well, uh, put it to use to save penguins. Go sign up for this thing. Penguins International is a great organization, and um, I, I think this is a really cool initiative. So, so go and check out the Penguin Pedal. P.S. Penguins have tiny, tiny little legs and cannot actually pedal themselves, but you can pedal for them. So for this next bit of news, I actually uh, paused recording for quite a while and had a little internal debate about whether to do this or not, um, because we're going to be talking about legislation and things that are happening in the U.S. government right now as they pertain to conservation. And um, in case you've been living under an actual rock without access to social media or the news, um, you may know that uh, a whole lot of people, myself included, are, are pretty uh, unhappy with some things that are happening at the federal level right now uh, in, in the courts mostly, but also also basically everywhere. Basically, it kind of feels like American government is burning to the ground in a lot of our opinions, and it's gross. So to talk about other things pertaining to wildlife and, and government and even, even get excited about some things is hard right now. But I mean, you know, I want to be authentic with y'all. And there are some cool things happening in the world of conservation uh, in the U.S. government right now. So there is currently a bill going through, and that is expected to pass, called Recovering America's Wildlife Act. And um, the idea behind this is that uh, the government is accepting that one-third of all U.S. wildlife species are already imperiled or vulnerable um, or worse, with nearly one million species worldwide at, at risk of extinction. And um, the, the bill officially acknowledges that fact, along with the fact that habitat loss, climate change, invasive species, disease, and severe weather have all taken a severe toll on animals and plants, and that this is a real problem. And so the bill not only accepts those facts, but then dedicates $1.3 billion annually towards the conservation and monitoring of at-risk species, with a major focus being on animal species. So that's really exciting and really good news, and um, a lot of money that can be used by our, our friends at these various zoos and conservation organizations and um, by the Wild Animal Health Fund and, and stuff like that to help fight extinction. So that's really cool. Um, and then the, the Biden administration has actually done two things that are worth being excited about. Um, recently. So the first of these is actually just the undoing of a Trump switch, but it's a big one, which is that um, when, when Trump came in, uh, one of the changes that he made was that he changed the definition of an animal's habitat. Basically, before the Trump administration, whenever scientists were talking about an animal's habitat in terms of looking for um, conservation efforts, they, they were talking about the traditional area where the animal had lived before climate change ran it off. And the Trump administration changed that definition to only be the habitats where the animals 
currently live. So as a great example, um, red wolves used to live throughout a lot of North America and now live in one area of North Carolina. So before this, when we would talk about trying to earmark money for the restoration of red wolf habitat, we would be talking about trying to do the thing that conservationists always do, which is rebuild habitat that we have destroyed where animals have left so that they go back to it and they can expand their populations and all that good stuff. And um, the Trump administration changed that so that now if you wanted to talk about red wolf habitat, you would be talking about the forest in North Carolina where that very small population lives. And that is it. So you cannot go out and try to change or protect habitat that they don't currently live in. That's insanity. So it's really cool that the Biden administration was able to change this back so that conservationists will have an easier time getting conservation projects approved for areas that we are hoping animals will repopulate. The Biden administration has also proposed making the Hudson Canyon, located about 100 miles from New York City, and which is the uh, one of the largest underwater canyons in the world, a marine sanctuary. This is an area of the ocean that is populated by hundreds of marine species, including sea turtles, sperm whales, and deep sea corals, all of which are heavily endangered. By making it a marine sanctuary, the Biden administration would be giving that area the same protections afforded to national parks, though it is admittedly significantly harder to go and hike in a canyon on the ocean floor. The Hudson Canyon is seven and a half miles wide and goes more than two miles deep in some places. Uh, in other words, it is roughly an underground Grand Canyon. So um, this is this is a really cool I idea. I'm, I'm a big fan of this, and it's part of the Biden administration's larger push to conserve 30% of the nation's land and waters by 2030. And last but not least in our good news from the government segment, um, there is also currently a piece of legislation going through right now that is also expected to pass known as the Sea Turtle Rescue Assistance Act. It is being championed by the National Aquarium, New England Aquarium, South Carolina Aquarium. Um, actually, apparently all members of the Aquarium Conservation Partnership are pushing for this, although those three have taken the lead. And um, it was proposed by U.S. Senator Chris Van Hollen. And the basic idea is that this would create a permanent grant program to support organizations responding to and caring for threatened and endangered sea turtles. A lot of the sea turtle rescue stuff that you see happening is done as part of the budget of the various aquariums that do the work or through donations and that kind of thing. And so having a national grant to help with this would definitely make that be a little bit smoother and, and make the organizations a little less concerned about where the money was going to come from the next time. So, uh, yeah, it's it's really cool to see the federal government stepping up in a bunch of ways to to try to help animals. I I have many thoughts about other things they should be doing, but um, that's not what we're reporting on in Zoo News. So let's move on, shall we? Seven clans of the Wamiufa tribe in Papua New Guinea have signed a legally binding contract to protect their forest biodiversity from growing threats of over-exploitation of their forest land and wildlife, including tree kangaroos. Basically, this is just another awesome example of indigenous people coming together to save the land and animals without waiting for, like, national governments to do so. Um, we've talked a lot about the fact that that indigenous people do a lot of conservation work and and it's wildly impressive the numbers that that they do and, and this is another example of that and it's especially interesting because uh, Papua New Guinea is a place much like the United States where certain tribal lands exist that are run by the tribes and uh, you know, they're, they were able to commit to doing this on their own because they think it's important and they are protecting land that the government itself isn't attempting to protect at this point. So it's just awesome to see indigenous people, any people, honestly, understanding the value of conservation and instead of trying to build up their own population and, and profit and, and turn their land into something more, they're making sure that it stays safe from the people who want to do that. 
And it helps tree kangaroos. Yay! I was recently sent a story that I found really interesting, um, and mainly because it's not being super reported. Um, but between uh, early 2020 and January of 21, over 400 elephants died in a way that we don't understand exactly what happened. Um, this was happening in Botswana, just north of the Okavango Delta, and it's a, it's a beautiful area, and um, the elephants were all seen stumbling and staggering and walking in circles and then collapsing, and um, many falling chest first and, and then dying. This mass die-off took place uh, in an area that was roughly 3,000 square miles. And um, in total, there were over 450 elephants that passed away. And at first, the uh, scientists who were looking into it concluded that the deaths were caused by poisons released by blue-green algae that were blooming in the water in the area. Um, a cyanobacteria neurotoxin that would attack the nervous system if ingested. However, a 14-month-long peer review process has basically shown that most of the evidence was mishandled and uh, that there's no real evidence that that was, in fact, the case, with many veterinarians saying that they did not think it would be possible for neurotoxins like that to take down elephants, and if it was possible, they would not collapse chest first in the way that they did. Now, I know that you're probably thinking, well, what about poaching? But um, all of the 450 carcasses were found with their tusks intact. So this, this was not humans, or at least not human poachers trying to get ivory. I wish I had some cool ending to this story, but I don't. All I know is that there, there are elephants out there that, that died for mysterious reasons in a mass death, and we don't really know what happened. So uh, hopefully scientists are able to figure something out before this happens again. But let's end conservation news on a happier note. In Lincoln, Nebraska, the Husker football team has decided that they will no longer be releasing balloons at the end of games, which was their tradition. Last year, the student government of the Huskers voted to end the Husker balloon release because of its environmental impact, but the school did not immediately agree. However, it turns out that helium is getting harder and harder to get and more and more expensive, so coupled with the students asking to make that happen, it is now going to be a thing and there will be no more balloons available to release into the environment and kill animals at Husker football games. Yay that. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, now, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast other news. Whew, all right, we are having another long episode. Y'all keep sending me such good stuff. Um, I feel like other news always gets kind of screwed over because it's at the end and I record these as I go. So I'm like, wow, we're 43 minutes into this podcast. That's supposed to be a half hour long. Um, huh, I need to pick just a couple, but I'm going to try and zip through a few of these. So first of all, the uh, 4th of July is coming up, Independence Day in the United States. And uh, if you don't feel like celebrating, don't. Especially because keep in mind that fireworks are really, really bad for wildlife, okay? Wildlife rehabs see so many more issues right after fireworks holidays. It's a thing. So um, they can uh, disorient birds. They can scare young animals and older animals. They, they can cause all kinds of problems and animals abandoning their young and just all kinds of stuff. I'm sure you've heard about it all, but um, – Fireworks are really a thing that we need to move away from as a country. It's just, it's not cool. It's not cool to the animals. They cause a lot of damage. And we already do that in so many other ways. So I highly encourage you to um, stay away from fireworks displays this year. Cool. 
All right. Another quick thing that I wanted to touch on. I mentioned at the end of last week's episode that I had found a story about Fairlife Dairy uh, abusing animals and all kinds of stuff. And I said that I didn't really have much time to look into it, so I wanted you to be skeptical, but I also needed to say that, hey, this is a thing that is being spoken about and reported on right now. Well, I have since had time to actually do some research, and I have some mixed news on the subject. Uh, The videos that were seen uh, are from a couple years ago. Uh, Everything that I told you about uh, was true. There was a um, place called Fair Oaks Farms that was one of the places that Fairlife was sourcing their milk from. And that is where the investigator from Arm went. And those videos were real and authentic. Uh, The Coca-Cola company who owns Fairlife and Fairlife themselves together immediately stopped sourcing milk from Fair Oak Farms. And they also took additional steps, including auditing their other farms and putting into place a welfare advisory council of experts to make sure that animal welfare was going to be okay uh, for their cows. And by all uh, evidence, uh, yeah, that seems to have worked out, and Fairlife seems to only be working with uh, dairies that don't torture their cows, which is, you know, a plus. Of course, what's happening now is that some animal rights activists are trying to repurpose that video and say that it's happening now again, and that is how I first heard about it and why I was so skeptical but also felt the need to report on it. So that is the story of Fairlife. Do with that what you will. Gold miners in the Yukon Territory recently discovered a rare mummified baby woolly mammoth that is the best preserved mummified woolly mammoth ever found in North America. Honestly, you can look up photos and it kind of just looks like a sleeping baby elephant. It's really crazy to see how well preserved this mammoth is. Come on, y'all. We can Jurassic Park this thing, right? I know scientists say we can't, but please... And now just two quick things that you might want to take a second and look up uh, on the internet to be happy. First of all, uh, National Geographic Photography and Photos of the Day, which is a Facebook page, posted a picture of Simba, a baby goat in Pakistan that was born with 19-inch long ears. For Ren Howell and the rest of you that don't live in America, that's 48 centimeters. It's just ridiculously adorable and well worth checking out. Then, last but not least, I want you to Google Dog Interrupts International Soccer Match Insists on Belly Rubs because, y'all, that is exactly what happened. A dog ran onto the field of a soccer match and literally kept flopping over at players who would then give it belly rubs. It is the cutest, dumbest, most perfect thing you've ever seen, and even though the dog was removed from the field of play, it was done so in a very loving way, and it's just... Honestly, I think it's the video that we all need this week. So go check it out. It's on HuffPost. And um, if that doesn't make you smile, then nothing will this week. Also, I can 100% see my puppy, Paradiddle, doing that exact thing and loving it just as much as this dog does. Animal, animal, animal holidays. Animal, animal, animal holidays. All right. Happy July, y'all. So um, July is Parks and Recreation Month. I assume that means the actual Parks and Recreation and not the television show. But if you haven't seen that one, highly recommend you start it this month. It's great. Uh, It's also, as I mentioned, Plastic Free July. So let's try and move on from our single-use plastics. It is also National Bison Month and Wild About Wildlife Month. Then for our individual days this week, the first is International Polychaete Day, the second is World Porcupine Day, and also starts World Firefly Weekend, which goes into the third, and then the third is also World Meerkat Day, and then you don't get another day until the 12th. So enjoy your animal holidays this week and month. 
All right, y'all. Well, uh, that's it for the week. Uh, another pretty long episode of Rasafari Zoo News. Thanks for hanging in and learning all the things. I would like to tell you that uh, on Tuesday, we'll be heading back to Adventure Aquarium for another behind-the-scenes episode there. And uh, you're going to get to meet Jenny and Button, the hippos that live at the aquarium. Uh, and I mean really meet them because I got to go behind the scenes and I took my recorder back and you'll get to hear that whole experience. Uh, and you'll also get to find out about the animal that they live in a mixed species exhibit with. It will shock you if you don't know. It's it's amazing. And it's just a really great episode that wraps up the five-episode um collaboration with Adventure Aquarium. And I'm really excited for you all to hear this one because, um, well, my guest sings. I'm just, I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. I'd also like to say thank you to all of my patrons, especially Laura Shank, my Red Panda level patron. Uh, as I mentioned last week, Laura and her daughter Sarah joined me at the National Zoo along with my friend Andrew. And uh, because Craig, the Binturong keeper there, was so incredible, we all got to meet. Hank and Lola, their binturongs, and spend some time interacting with them and feeding them. Snoots may have been booped through through th th them reaching their snoots out, of course. We would not reach into the exhibit. Um, much bonding happened. And, you know, I got to tell you all, I get inspired for conservation and just animal stuff a lot. There are so many people doing so many amazing things and I get to share those stories with y'all and it's it's always amazing. There it feels like a hundred cool things happen every week because of of me being a part of this community through Ross Safari. But um hanging out with a absolutely brilliant and excited 12-year-old at a zoo and watching her share information while also soaking in new information and just love the experience and get so excited that, that she can barely contain herself that that was special. That was that was special in a way that that even, you know, interacting with animals wasn't. Um but that was also pretty special, not going to lie. Uh, and I'd also like to say thanks to Carly Hornberger, uh, who you heard on the AMZAP episode way back, who let me hang out with some of the great apes at the zoo. And that was that was really amazing as well. It, it was a very, very good day. And I'm, I'm grateful that I get to have those kinds of days because of this silly little podcast. So thanks to everyone involved for, for making that special. I'd also like to say thank you to the following people who contributed stories this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Ren Owl, mate, <laughs> who is going to kill me when she hears me do that, Kristen Khalil, Andrew King, and Justin Fairchild. And to slightly twist a joke that Justin sent me to kind of make it my own here, um, just remember, friends, if Benjamin and Benjamini were still with us, then at the end of each episode, they would say, Spiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.